Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready, we're not gonna sit back. Hello, everybody out there, all you friends, you neighbors, you brothers, you sisters, you comrades, all you citizens of the world. I'm Michael James, and I'm here in Chicago in the very blue 49th Ward. And I'm bringing you another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. Today, we're going to have a couple of old pal guests. Many of you know them both, Katie Hogan and Warren Lemming. So we're going to talk with two comrades about things they're doing and have done. A little bit of information going forward. On the bad front, we have a real tragedy going on in the Middle East, and I'm not sure it's going to get any better. I really feel that Israel has lost any higher ground that they might have had with the ongoing deaths in Gaza. And I just think people ought to pay real close attention to it. And whoever you have to write, you have to talk to, this is really rough and it's going to have ramifications for us down the line. On the good front, I was sitting in my upstairs room doing a little work and my wife called out to me, come quick, come quick. And lo and behold, what did we see? A red-tailed hawk right outside a window, just hanging out, waiting for a rabbit or a squirrel or some other kind of animal. And we got to take some photographs. Paige took some movies of it. It was a really wonderful experience. Another great thing that happened this week that I got notice on, you will remember we had two representatives from the Tampa Five, members of the New Students for Democratic Society at University of South Florida. And they had been challenging the president there over DeSantis's new exclusionary rules. They got busted. They got charged with all kinds of stuff. Well, the Tampa Five are proud to announce a great victory. Their misdemeanor and felony charges will be dropped. Uh, and this is after a lot of mobilization, both in Florida and them going around the country. This is good. And it shows you that all our little actions, our demonstrations, our letter writing, our concerns can be heard and they can make a difference. Also on the good front, I would like to point out that George Santos, who was a short-term congressman from New York, is no longer in Congress. And Kevin McCarthy, lo and behold, he announced that he's not going to run. It makes the Republican majority much smaller. And who knows what will happen? And on that note, I would just like to share that don't be put off by all the propaganda about Trump winning the election, being ahead of Biden. It's really up to us. And it's the work and it's the education that we do in the months ahead before November's election, where we really can influence people and hopefully world events will lead us in a better direction. Okay, so that's that. And on the labor front, Besides the United Auto Workers and the SAG victories, one of the things that has come up is that the United Auto Workers is going to take on the VW plants again, and they're talking about going after Tesla. That would be great. And I'll remind you again that workers in Denmark are refusing to handle Tesla. So I don't know what's going on over there, but there is a challenge. Another thing on the labor front, Columbia College adjunct faculty are still on strike. It's been more than a month. The union says it is the longest strike of adjunct faculty in higher education history. The strike has been spurred by Columbia College cutting of 53 classes this fall and a number 317 in the spring. The college cites under-enrollment and fiscal issues which the union disputes. And one more good thing, I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, but I've had a lot of Catholic friends. We are on a station, our home base is WLUW87 at Loyola University. And I'm glad to report that Pope Francis has fired a right-wing Texas bishop. His name is Edward Strickland, and also kicked out of the Vatican Raymond Burke, a cardinal. So the Pope is taking some moves for people who have trying to inhibit, block, stop, disrupt some of the more progressive things that he's been doing. Okay, in memoriam, I'd like to call attention to Norman Lair. I didn't watch a lot of non-sports and politics on TV, but I did take in Sanford and Sons and All in the Family, and he really broke ground. He broke a lot of ice. He raised progressive issues. He did it in a way that made people laugh. And I think that'd be great if some of the people in the country would be watching those shows again. Okay, enough of the opening banner. We're going to take a small musical break. 
And we'll be back with our longtime pal, our business partner, our partner in producing this show. Sometimes she's a host, the one and only Katie Hogan. She's getting ready in the wings, and we'll be right back. So stay tuned here on the left end of your dial or wherever you're getting live from the heartland. Everybody, welcome back to Live from the Heartland. And as I said before, at the end of the banter, our next guest is someone that many of you who listen to the show on a regular basis for many years know, the one and only Katie Hogan, my longtime business partner and very close friend in the Heartland Cafe, longtime co-host of the show here, and we love having her whenever we can get her. And she is still a producer of this show. And one of the things that... Uh, people should know about Katie Hogan is she's always had an urge to travel and she's done a lot of it. She's been to Mexico. She's been to Europe. She's been a lot of places. I'll let her tell you, but uh, ever since I know her, she was going off on adventures, uh, a lot of excitement, saw a lot of things, had a lot of close calls. And most recently, uh, you know, she told us a long time ago, she was going to go off to Spain and walk the Camino. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a long time away. And then all of a sudden, it got to be a week, few days, and she went, and now she's back. And I think we did have a brief report on her trip when she first got back, but this is going to be a Katie Hogan travelogue about her experiences just recently over in Spain. So hello to you, Katie Hogan. Hello, Michael James. Nice to see you, Pard. I don't yes. think I've been on since I came home from the Camino. I think I was on before I left. Well, we can always check, but that's good because we don't want people that had heard any of this before. Exactly. This is a new, lot of new material. So tell us about your ongoing uh, desire to travel and go places and do things. Because ever since I've known you, you've taken off. And before I knew you, you had done some of that too. That's right. Uh, travel. It's, you know, we don't need to really go into it deeply. Travel is a great gift. And for those of us in the United States, if we can travel outside of the United States, it's a double gift because we need, as uh, people sitting in the mothership, as it were, that we are, uh, we need to know what the rest of the world sees when they look at the U.S. And that was one of the great uh, lessons that started for me when I first went to Mexico as a student in back in 1970. And, uh, you know, once I saw that, one, they got different news than we did, but also they got a news that looks at the U.S. as the other or that big thing. Uh, 
it was a big, uh, it was an eye opener. So yeah, I've done, I've been absolutely fortunate to do an, an immense amount of travel. And um, one of the things that I have emphasized in travel is some sort of spiritual retreat or personal um, uh, life development um, and keeping on in track of what is the soul of all of us and of us individually. So the Camino um, represented a thing that I had known about for many, many years, like 40 years. And um, it got more popular, certainly in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Uh, one of it, the reasons was that movie called The Way, really good flick, did show a, 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 poor, a way of doing The Way. So um, what I did, first of all, I want to say I only did part of the Camino. I did 110 kilometers of the Camino, which is actually um, uh, 800 kilometers total of the path that I use, which is the Camino Frances, um, which starts uh, just outside of Spain in France, right before uh, you start with the Pyrenees. So the full Camino is uh, quite a feat. And I didn't, I hasten, <laughs> hurry to say that is not the feat I pulled off. Nonetheless, having said that, the Camino is the Camino. And once you're on it, you're on it. And the magic of it comes to you even if you're only doing five to 10 miles a day, which is what our group did, instead of the three times that, that the folks who are doing the long haul do, which is they do anywhere from 10 to 30 miles a day, even at times, um, in order to get it get through it. Uh, so I had a very different experience. Um, I, before I left, was making a glib joke about it and describing to people I'm doing the bougie Camino because uh, hotel rooms or uh, rooms in casitas planned for us ahead of time. We had meals there all covered ahead of time. Um, so the real Camino, doing the real Camino as a pilgrim from the very beginning means you often don't know where you're sleeping that night. And that can cause a little bit of anxiety as you get more and more tired and wonder where will you rest yourself. So our group, which was all over 50 years old, well, there was one gal who was pushing 50. But um, for us, uh, this was a real treat. The setup uh, put together by the folks at Ananda um, Travel, Expanding Light, they call it. Um, this is the reason I chose them. Um, each day, we would start with meditation uh, in the dark. We would pad ourselves down to whatever room we had at that location to sit in silence. We would do a little bit of chanting and then silence for about 20 minutes, not a long meditation, but absolutely effective. And then we would eat breakfast together. Every single time we ate, sat down to breakfast or dinner, we sang our grace, which those of us who didn't know the words or whatever, we learned it real quick within a couple of days. And um, such a sweet thing, but a little bit, uh, you know, some people were a little uh, concerned that we were doing this in uh, open dining rooms that included other guests and maybe other pilgrims. Um, that discomfort went away immediately because almost immediately as most of us learned the words and we sang it together it was a beautiful sound and people would applaud <laughs> in the <laughs> dining room and the other thing we did was we sang to the uh, innkeepers or the folks who hosted us we would encircle them out in front of their place before we started our walk and sing them a song that was in thanks for their hospitality and hoping to meet them down the road i mean stuff it would it would make the innkeeper cry, tear up. Um, and the other thing that happened that was different for us that made it all possible was at the end of each day, if there was room, and most times there was, one of our leaders, Satyana, would lead us in a stretching slash yoga uh, thing that would last about 45 minutes that was absolutely healing and allowed us to go on and be strong. So we were we were on the deluxe Camino trip, I, I gotta say, because of both the prayer and the and the exercise 
And the other thing I would add too, that was extremely important to all of us was every day that we walked, which was all 12 days, um, we, uh, we would walk for an hour in silence. We started our walk for an hour, not speaking. Um, to 201, every one of us thought that was essential for the kind of focus that we were able to give our Camino. But, okay, so the history of the Camino. Um, let me let me ask you a couple of questions and then yeah. you can. Okay. Uh, one of the thing was, let me just fire at you. What led you to do this now in your life? And why did you pick that rather than going back to Jamaica or Canada or one of the other places you've gone off to? Well, the Camino is a very unique and specific um, and world. Uh, it's a UNESCO world site. It's one of the three great pilgrimages, according to in Christendom, the others being to Rome and the one that no one can do right now, the one to Jerusalem. Um, uh, so and and you may say, well, you know, you're not that big of a Catholic, Katie. I mean, what are you doing going on this? You definitely been influenced by the Catholic Church. I, I mean, I am I am someone who was raised in Catholicism, so I have the freedom to say what I do and do not, um, uh, you know, focus on in that. And that doesn't necessarily make me a cafeteria Catholic, although some would say yes. Um, but I'm secure in my starting point with getting in touch with spiritual connection with the cosmos. And uh, the Catholic Church gave me that when I was like eight or nine years old. And so I got, I have no problem with that. I have added to it, of course, thanks to Buddhism and Hindu, uh, the, the Hindus who affected me in my yoga teacher training. So what this was, was I couldn't, I didn't want to return to Jamaica or somewhere else. I wanted to do this thing. And yeah. there's no other way to do this thing and no other way to get what I got from it, but go to Spain and do it. And I, I was thrilled to be in Spain for the first time in my life. And we followed it up with some time in Portugal as well. Um, let, go ahead me, and ask another question. The, uh, you know, you and I used to, before we opened the Heartland, we were running lots of miles up and down Lake Front. Uh, we both have done marathons. Uh, you uh, broke four hours in Germany with a bunch of Olympic athletes. Way better I time. I love that you always remember that. <laughs> well, it's you know I only did about four thirty-two or something, and I uh, I'm very much humbled by that. Uh, <laughs> and my daughter has had Casey Blue has a better time too. But you know I've, I I met I've known you lifting weights. I've known you doing yoga. I've known you doing running. Um, and I watched you get ready for your Camino trek, and uh, you just blew me away. You know, we would be, I'd drop you off way on the west side where we were meeting someone in an office, and then you decided to walk back to Rogers Park, you know, seven, eight, ten miles. Uh, you were putting in a lot of miles, um, and uh, so I was very much impressed with your training. I don't know if you want to say anything about the training. And uh, well, how many miles you actually had to put in each day, et cetera. Well, thank you for um, all of that. <laughs> um, that was part of the reason. That's also part of the draw to me, uh, of, to the Camino, was the physical aspect to it, that it would require me to do some training, which it did. And I did from May until I left in September, a lot of walking, as you said. Um, but because, again, we were doing... Um, you know, our average daily mileage went ran between five and the low end to nine or nine and a half on the tall end. So I knew from back from our marathon days, frankly, that if I could do uh, half of that comfortably any day, I would be fine. So I did a number. I did only two or three nine mile walks. And I did many, many six and seven mile walks. And I used. Uh, walking to my job at Gethsemane and back as training as well. So walking is, you know, everything is walking distance as long as you have enough time. <laughs> and your muscles don't hurt. I'm having a hard time walking now. I got some pains in my leg. I don't know. But um, you got to keep walking is the basic thing. And I believe in that. So you uh, you went over there with a pal um, and you 
uh, how many days did you have in, in Spain or France or whatever until you we start started out? We started out in Madrid. We had a couple of three days to acclimatize ourselves in Madrid, which was a wonderful city to see the the Gaudi, the, uh, the museums there uh, walking around. I loved it. Um, and I also loved using my Spanish. Uh, my The friend that um, would always be very impressed, but that's because she didn't speak any Spanish. And I would be telling her all the times that these Spanish people were saying, oh, your Spanish is so good. I would say, this is all they heard me say, <laughs> which is like one sentence that said, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have that bread too, or, or get me what she got. And she'd be like, and they, they'd be so kind and generous to say, oh, you have such good Spanish. And it blew me away every time because they were basing that on like the simplest sentences. You know, spoken. I had that same thing. I'll say things like "Viva la gente, todo poder a la gente," and uh, you know, I'll have a couple of phrases that I can whip off, and people think I could speak Spanish pretty well, but I'm really terrible. But well, I don't think we have to go to being terrible, but I think that anytime a U.S. citizen goes abroad and actually tries to communicate with the countrymen in their language. The appreciation level is, uh, you know, off the charts because they get so many Americans sitting down going, I'll have a Coke, please, <laughs> expecting, you know, yeah. that to Let be me ask you, Katie, what do you think has led to so many people doing it? Uh, it since you did the Camino, I, you know, uh, Connie Voisin, the poet, uh, we know she's done it. A friend of mine, Matt, he did it. Yeah, more than 300,000 people are doing it annually now, which is huge huge. And uh, I'm not sure what, I think it, a lot of people are drawn to getting away from the, the daily. Uh, and that's, that, that's to me, the sweetest thing to go on. One of these things is to not watch TV for a month. It's to not, uh, for me, uh, miss a night sleeping in my bed because I fell asleep on the couch. I slept in a bed every single night, the lights went out and I went to sleep. It was a, Totally wonderful thing. I ate really well. People in Europe eat better than us. I'm sorry, folks, but that's the case. Their food is closer. It doesn't travel in semis or airplanes for hours or days, and it makes a huge difference. And people, people were astounded at how much they loved the food. Um, what was what was the other question? Part of this question? I forgot. Um, why what people were walking. Oh, why doing. so many? Yeah, why so many? Oh, I think it's the absolute best antidote to life in, as we know it right now. Just shut off the noise, get away from all of the input and the social media, et cetera. And, uh, you know, test yourself. You know, who do you find when you're out there walking by yourself for hours on end through the beautiful countryside? Um, it's It's like the central life question to me. Um, that we all seek to get the answer to. And it's one of the few ways we have of doing it that isn't sort of uh, life uh, challenging. I mean, I've done harder things like walk in higher places for longer for periods of time, but um, uh, the same thing happens. You get to yourself and you get to find out what's there. What's there for you? What's there for the... What do you bring home to your people from a thing like this? And I'm still hey, figuring that out. What did you glean? What's the most important thing you got out of this trip? Uh, um, to keep doing things like this is important. Um, that have you been was, walking a lot since you came back? Um, I have continued to walk, not as much, given that it's you know getting winter, but I walk to work still and. Um, you know, I, I I mean to walk more each day, but I haven't done as much as I might have. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna have to go out, so I want to ask you two more things. One okay. would be, one would be, uh, what are your next plans for vacation trip for spiritual enlightenment? <laughs> have you got it figured out yet? <laughs> um, I think I'm going to glean spiritual enlightenment from publishing a book with you this year um that that's going to be a, a, a spiritual trip for me to finish the heartland book <laughs> yeah can we share with people what we're calling it right now 
No. Okay, I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> I got one more thing, Katie. Would you be so kind as to sing us the grace right now? No, I forget the tune. Oh, geez, because you have a nice voice. I, I forget the tune. I, um, <laughs> I just read the words the other day um, that were in something else. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were going to ask that or I would have. Well, that was a secret. That's I was popping it on you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, so, uh, you always have a lot to share. I know you're a political animal and we are all gearing up for the next uh, 11 months of uh, talking to everybody we can, sharing all the positive things we know are going on combating yeah. all the lies that are out there. Uh, yeah. Do you have any parting words to share with the multitude of listeners or viewers to the Live from the Heartland show? Well, I hope everyone does get involved and understands that, like uh, uh, Liz Cheney said earlier this week with her book published, another term of Trump would be absolutely dangerous to the democracy and uh, I totally agree with Liz Cheney, and we cannot allow it. So everyone should understand we they've tried to separate us. let's let's give up on the blue and red bullshit. Excuse me, right on. I like that. Give it up. Um, we're, gonna... uh, we're all I mean, you know, Texas isn't a red state. They elected Beto O'Rourke for gosh sake. We've got voters of every stripe in every state. So let's get them and let's get them to vote for Biden Harris and leave this hell of Trump behind us forever. Right on, sister. Thank you, Katie Hogan, for coming on live from the heartland. Thank you, Michael and Hal. All the rest of you stay tuned. We're going to have a musical break. Who knows what it will be. And we will be right back with our next guest, the one and only Warren Lemming. Stay tuned on the left end of your dial. Right back.
Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Live from the Heartland. I'm Michael James up here in Chicago's blue, very blue 49th Ward, although I'm into not using the blue and red so much. We are all Americans, and we got stuff to do together. Uh, but that said, it brings me a lot of pleasure to bring on our next guest. Uh, the first time I ever met him and saw his band, Wilderness Road, and we're talking about the one and only Warren Lemming, was at Alice's Restaurant or Alice's Revisited on uh, over just off of Lincoln Avenue. And uh, it was the same day that I got sucker punched. It was a rising up angry event. We were raising money for the cause. And there was a guy from the far south side who was messed up on drugs and downers and was kind of spitting in my face. And I kind of pushed him away and I turned and uh, I said to others, get him the F out of here before the police come. And mm. just then he flew through the air and gave me a broken jaw. So mm. I don't know if I got to hear much of your set that first in the time I saw you, Warren. Yeah, for good reason. I, yeah. yeah, I got to know, you know, uh, Wilderness Road on Columbia Records. I listened. I still listen to them. Uh, and, uh, you know, you not only had a very good musical career, but you went on to make films and do poetry and do plays all with a bit of a political bent because you are a political animal animal so absolutely and i was involved with a guy named paul sills uh and he started something called second city with some other guys which right. everybody by this time has heard of and then we went on to a thing called game theater that's where i met sills now what drew me to that scene was not so much the games and the violist bullet method, which is a wonderful improvisational uh, method. I even taught it at one point. What drew me to Sills was Sills was one of the first American Brechtians, okay? And Brecht was my guy uh, in the sense that I you can look at modern theater, uh, and you, but you can't, you can't go around. You got to go through Brecht in order to get to modern theater because he was the theatrical genius of the 20th century, which made a lot of people on the right unhappy. It's difficult when the greatest playwright, poet, uh, dramaturgical force of the century is, is an open communist. That made for real problems for the State <laughs> Department. <laughs> and how did you discover Brecht? I was, uh, I was led to Brecht through a series of um, readings that were being done. Actually, I was studying German at the time, and I was in Germany, and I suddenly realized that this this guy was not just a poet of genius, but but uh, here was here was the audience I'd been waiting for in terms of my own own work, and uh, I had been doing reviews, satirical reviews, et cetera, et cetera, and I had read a lot of Marx, and at that point, uh, it occurred to me that this is a guy who's really synthesized all of that thinking. And he de he de developed a performance style. Anyway, I I wound up um, doing some work at the Berliner Ensemble, getting to know Barbara Brechtshaw, who was Brecht's surviving daughter, and it was a pretty ex exciting experience. I was in East Germany at a time when the wall was still up, and I was there at the sufferance uh, of the East German government. And uh, I had a pal from Texas, who's since passed to the great. Uh, Corral beyond, but uh, Dave was a wonderful guy. And he and I, Dave McBride was his name, he's a Yale grad. And we met in Berlin and we shot a documentary, which is still around. It's called The Brecht Document. We shot a documentary with the permission of the East German government. Now, the CBS had been there two months before us wanting to do something similar. And they had offered the East Germans $200,000. Uh, which and they were desperate for currency. They turned them down and went with us, these two unknown socialist vagabonds in Berlin. Uh, and we got to make the direct documentary. They provided us with a car and uh, were more than gracious to us, I must say. Warren, was that before or after your musical career? Uh, that's well after, in a sense, that that's 83, 84, 85, 86. It's in that area because I had gone to Germany with the expressed idea of uh, working at uh, the Brecht Institute in uh, in East Berlin. I had to get permission to cross the border. And, uh, you know, it was going 
uh, people would say, oh, you're going from the nightclub, that was West Berlin, to the factory, that was East Berlin. But uh, they wanted my services at the, at the factory, and the nightclub was not terribly interested in what I had. Well, you know, you when I first knew, got to know you a little bit, you were uh, a you were pretty hot musician. You had a, a band that had some notoriety. Yeah. How did that come to an end, and you kind of moved on to your filmmaking? Well, the band, uh, the band like all uh, good bands, uh, needs a great audience. And you remember the 60s. You were a vital part of that. And I will get a plug in for your book, which has just come out of the photographs that you did of rising up angry power to the people. And of course, we, Wilderness Road worked a lot to raising whatever we could in the ways of money for rising up angry for the Black Panther Party, for the White Panther Party, for, for the Free John Sinclair movement. We were inextricably involved in that great, great movement that went on in the 60s, which you document so wonderfully in your book on rising up angry. And I urge everybody to call, write, phone, uh, wire Mike James and get a copy of the rising <laughs> up angry story because it really is a remarkable series of black and white photographs. I love that gritty black and white stuff. It looks better now than it's ever looked before. And you get the, a real feel of the grit. But I remember those times vividly. We were deeply involved as a band and we had a great audience. And that great audience was also composed of some people from Rising Up Angry who would help you along in terms of your own uh, political development because we played endless uh, free gigs uh, around um, a lot of those issues. Uh, I, I think we made a difference. I've had people come up to me decades later and said, you know, we were trying to get a little community thing going and you guys came out and you played a free concert for us and 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 we charged for it and we made enough money to make that work and there's a tremendous satisfaction as you can speak to you know in having uh lived within and worked within this uh, this community in chicago and made a contribution to uh, sustaining the things and the people we want to see happen well i'm glad that we're all still alive here and we can keep doing our stuff because we got right. a lot to do still now, let me ask you. Uh, yeah, well, apropos your book, I mean, I was thinking, you know, these are the folks we need now. Yeah. Okay, was rising up anger was was doing is, uh, you know, is is a precursor to what's happening now. And we know there's a slow rolling, not, not so slow rolling uh, fascist coup going on. We know that Trump gets more irrational as is fascism. It is an attack on intelligence. And you see that from Trump every day, and he gets crazier and crazier, and the media gives him more and more attention. There's more attention to Trump than there is to Biden. Biden yeah. is is not is considered not good corporate media because he's he is uh, you know considered uh, uh, he doesn't have the star power that the media is after. The media wants sensation, okay, and they want somebody like Trump who is saying outrageous stuff about dictatorship and about upending this democracy, which has been around this attempt at democracy we call the United States. And uh, uh, it's it's a sad fact, but uh, we, we in, the, in the 60s, as you know, I mean, we thought that this was gonna, there was gonna be a blow up of some, some sort and there might even be an armed insurrection, who knew? And yet this is all winding out now in, in and on the media as a kind of slow rolling judicial disaster. They can't, sh you know, in a system that cannot shut up, cannot contain and cannot stop the lies, the system itself is then a lie. A system that will not shut down the lies is itself a lie. And that is the problem we're up against right now is we're looking to these people, whether it's Merrick Garland and justice or whatever, to come in and do something about this Trump's outrageous attacks on judges, on their wives. And, and this all, this is intimidation. This is coercion. This is Roy Cohen's pupil we're talking about. Roy Cohen's, Cohen's boy, okay, who as Cohen himself said, and I don't know if I can say this, I'm quoting Roy Cohen. He said, oh, Mr. Trump, he pisses ice water. Now that, that, <laughs> you that, can say that. They yeah, use, it, I've heard that word used uh, in recent years on TV and radio. Right, exactly, exactly. But we're oh. we're in some deep stuff now, and um, we, as you have pointed out, you know, we got to keep fighting. Well, we're gonna. And uh, one of the things that uh, 
is very helpful in uh, trying to educate younger people or even people who've gone astray is to try to get them to watch some good flicks. And one of the things that I know about you, partly because you have invited me and have interviewed me a few times for some movie that you and um, your friend Hugh are making, um, mm -hmm. but you uh, you also made a couple of films. You made Algren's Last Night. Right, uh, just, that's, that's a film put together with a guy named Carmen Servi, yeah. An American Road in 20. Tell us about the films you've made, because I actually found uh, mm -hmm. online a whole list of stuff that you're involved with in filmmaking areas right. and, um, that I had no idea about. So tell well, us. I had, about I had worked for, for a number of years with a guy named Dennis Miller, uh, Dennis Mueller, rather, who is, is living in Burlington, Vermont, old, old pal of mine. Dennis. And we had done stuff on the Palestinians. We had done uh, a video, uh, The FBI's War on Black America which is still available, and a number of other videos having to do with, with uh, causes, et cetera. And then Kurt Jacobson and I put together a thing on the Beats, uh, which had to do with American history. It's actually about the American road. And as a member of Wilderness Road, I'm, I'm well acquainted with the road. And in addition to that, I had done what I would call a kind of film noir video about Algren. It's only six or seven minutes in length, uh, called Algren's Last Night. And uh, I had done it with Carmen Serby, who was a filmmaker here in Chicago. And it's on YouTube. I urge everybody to see it. I think it's a beautiful little piece of work. And uh, out of that came a, a documentary that Dennis Mueller put together on Algren. Um, and it, that's, it's, it's one of the better documentaries. There's There have only been two. There's a guy at Columbia College who did one. Uh, he interviewed the guy from the Smashing Pumpkins. What that had to do with Algren eludes me. But in any event, uh, <laughs> Dennis Mueller's uh, documentary on Algren, uh, based on, at least in part, on, on the inspiration he got from the Algren's last night that I put together, this attempt at what I'd call video noir. Um, Dennis put together a wonderful biography or a documentary rather on Algren. Tell us a little bit about Algren because uh, you, you made this film, but you also put on a Nelson Algren uh, yearly event and you would honor various and, activists. And I, yeah. I think the year that I didn't show up there was the year you honored me. I know my, my mm -hmm. name is on a poster. Uh, yeah. Fun events. Tell us, tell the younger people. Every, every March, usually around the 28th or 29th, the 28th is August birthday party on March, in March, we do the Nelson Algren committee, which I'm a member of, a founding member of with Studs Terkel and Hugh Iglarsh and some other people. Uh, and we do a birthday party around Algren and their performers and whatnot. And uh, it's a pretty good event. And we get a couple of hundred folks who come out on a yearly basis. Uh, we had to shut down for a couple of years because of the COVID thing. We're back in business now. And it's normally at uh, uh, where I live, 2418 West Bloomingdale, which is the uh, Acme Arts Complex in uh, Wicker Park. In any event, uh, it's it's uh, it's a good event and it commemorates Algren. Algren was an American writer who was a victim of uh, not much discussed uh, McCarthyite putsch that went on in the 50s when an attack was launched by the most right-wing sources in the government and elsewhere on any progressive writer, intellectual, whatever. I mean, people lost their jobs. Uh, it's, it's like what happened to the Spanish Civil War vets who came back from the anti-fascist war in Spain and were hounded by the FBI for the rest of their lives. So it's, it's uh, Algren's was a sad chapter in the sense that he wrote um, uh, uh, that the, the first book, Man with a Golden Arm, which is one of the first serious studies of uh, drug addiction and what yeah. it meant to be a drug addict. And that was uh, made into a not great, great film with uh, Otto Preminger at the the wrong guy to do that sort of film. And then it was followed up by a novel that, that, that he, Algren did, A Walk on the Wild Side, which uh, Lou Reed based his song on the title. And um, uh, that's that's in itself an interesting novel. And there's an interesting film that was done uh, of that particular novel. Algren was, in 1948, the winner of the National Book Award. He went on to have a, um, a mixed career in terms of, of uh, the same time he was coming to the fore and he's a product, like all the intellectuals during the 30s of the CP and uh, their efforts to create an American literature that was leftist and progressive.
And he used to hang out at the the Division Street bathhouse. Right. Uh, bathhouse was part of the yeah. cult. I remember hearing that. Tell me a little bit about your film, American Road. And then uh, I want to make sure we talk about Clancy Siegel. American Road was our attempt at it. It's still available. You can get it through the Internet. Or if you email me at coldchicagoco, all lowercase, one word, at gmail.com, uh, I'll send you info as to how to get it. Uh, in any event, American Road was an attempt at taking the idea of the road, whether Kerouac's on the road or just the road as a musical force, as a literary force in American life. America's always in about people moving and usually moving west. And uh, Wilderness Road uh, had to do with that. We came up with the name uh, years ago thinking it was a good name, which, of course, it is. But we had no knowledge of the fact that there was a Wilderness Road. And it turns out that was the roadway from uh, the East Coast into Kentucky and Tennessee. And they were known then as the dark and bloody ground because of the Indian, uh, Indian colonial settler violence. And uh, so Wilderness Road was, you know, was uh, was one of the concepts of, of the film is is about the road and the significance that the road has had for Americans, uh, literarily and otherwise. We're a people who like to move, you know. And uh, Clancy Siegel, as an American writer, lived in uh, in England for many many years. Wrote four or five really really good uh, good books. One one on uh, the labor movement or aspects of it. Another one on. Uh, R.D. Lang in England. He was associated with Lang. Terrific guy. Uh, died recently and uh, taught for many years at UCLA. He's taught screenwriting. But an amazing American guy who's been under the, like many of these folks, he's under the radar, but he's worth you looking into. So, so uh, you know, Google uh, Clancy Siegel. Take a look at his. Uh, his Are you doing book. a film on Clancy Siegel? We have done a documentary on Clancy Siegel, yes. Uh, yeah, we can make that available to people, too. Again, you know, just uh, email me at uh, coldchicagoco, spelled C-O, at gmail.com, and I will give you the info you need to... Uh, to what what is the Clancy Siegel movie named? Uh, it's just Clancy Siegel. Oh, good. That's I would like to see that one, because I, I, think it's I remember when I was... Uh, I was uh, hanging out with some people who had been involved with SNCC and had left SNCC, and right. they... Apparently had all been, uh, you know, like the Mississippi Freedom Summer was over, et cetera. And mm -hmm. they were reading um, uh, Clancy Siegel's Going Away, which was, mm -hmm. kind of, I believe, a story about, uh, you know, longtime activist Communist Party then um, mm -hmm. and kind of uh, where things were starting to fall down. Maybe it was in the 50s under the McCarthy period. I'm not sure. But it's uh, uh, yeah, the 30s too. Uh, his uh, Siegel's mother was an uh, was an organizer, and he traveled with her, and she would get dropped into these impossible situations, and somehow organize people and get the union movement going. These are really amazing people. I don't I don't believe some of these biographies, and Siegel's is one, and and his mother are are, are two of these these biographies. It's uh, it harkens back to the days of Aunt Molly Jackson and the organizing around the mining struggles uh, and and all the rest of it. It's an amazing, amazing story. Amazing. What are you working on now, Warren? What do you got going? I'm working, I'm working on some poetry, uh, which is on my Facebook site. And it's about a lot about the Trump people and the Trump regimes. And I'm trying to put together uh, the, the, the rudiments of a review, which I want to stage locally since I've done a lot of review work and I like satirical reviews, it's part of the Brecht legacy. I'd like to do something on, on Trump and just, you know, the whole Trump period, which has been really extraordinary, not in the, in the best possible sense, but in, in many great ways, uh, the worst possible sense. But of course, you know, for people who are satirists and I happen to be one, that's, that's always what we wait for are those moments when you really see the system and its adherence revealed. And satire is one of the ways that you do it. Uh, do you uh, have a short poem you'd like to read us? I was looking for, for something, and alas, I cannot get, get this thing to come up. Well, I'll uh, read it the... next. I could read it next week, or if you send me a printed view. Yeah, let's, let's do that. I'll, I'll send you some of these. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Tell me one time, what is that film that you and Hugh were shooting that you had me interview for? Well, we're doing the thing on the 60s, and uh, we're doing a lot of interviews. Yours are among them. 
and uh, that's still in a work in progress. So uh, I wish I wish I had more to say about it beyond the fact that it's uh, it's something we're trying to do right, and that takes time. Well, Warren Lemmy, you know you can always come back on the show, and I like uh, having you on because you're a wealth of knowledge. And I do. Uh, what is the name of that play around the Civil War that you did at the Heartland? Oh, Rich Man's War, Poor Man's Fight. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I also have I also have a lot of those CDs. <laughs> so if anybody's looking for a lot of original instrumentals and songs on the American Civil War, I'm your guy. So uh, it's called Rich Man's War, Poor Man's Fight, and it's original material. All of it, a lot of it instrumental, a lot of it, of course, song. Yeah, I remember when we put that on at the Heartland, it was great. I want to encourage everybody out there to really do good in the world. Before I go, though, I would want to say that I want to thank people like Katie Hogan, Warren Lemming, Tom Clark, Lynn Orman, Hal James for making this show possible. Coming up next week, we have tentatively booked the great writer-reporter Don Rose, the incomparable Alderman Chewy Garcia, and we have a few other people lined up for future shows. So once again, don't be discouraged by all the kind of pro-Trump talk out there. We can win these elections. It's up to us. It's got to save democracy and fight fascism. After all, democracy is a little better than fascism. So all of you do good in the world. The world needs all the good that you do. And have a great week. We'll be back next week with more Live from the Heartland. In the meantime, you can get it at Can TV. You can get it at youtube.com slash Heartland Media, Spotify and Google Podcasts, and of course, WLUW 88.7 Chicago Sound Alliance. Have a great week. Over and out. Power to the people. Power to the people.